Hey, my name is Katie Pijanowski, and I'm a certified life coach and motivational speaker, and I'm here to help you unlock your true strength so you can create the life of your dreams. I teach you my best tips to master your mindset, create confidence, and empower yourself to take back your life. It's your time. This is the Mind and Body Strong Podcast. You're listening to the Mind and Body Strong podcast. We have a special guest today. Her name is Dr. Marina Malik, and she's a family medicine resident in Ontario, Canada. She struggled with anorexia for 15 years and uses her experience to educate and empower others. She's an author of Recipe for Recovery and runs a blog at anorexiarecovery1.blogs. Spot.com, which of course I'm going to link all of her stuff in the bio so you can learn all about her, but she's really awesome. She reached out to me and we were just chit-chatting back and forth about her experience. And I just think she's going to have so much amazing knowledge to bring to this podcast. And I really think you guys are going to connect with her story. So welcome to the podcast, Marina. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's really great to be here, Katie. I'm so excited to get to chat with you more and just really hear the full depth of your story. And you shared with me as we were talking before and through Messenger, a lot of the lessons that you've learned through your journey through recovery with anorexia. And so I'm super excited to hear about that. So I would love to just get started wherever you'd like to start in your story that feels best for you. And so my audience can get to know how you got started and um, where you're where you're at now. So kind of where you started and we'll go through all of that and see where it goes. <laughs> sure. Sounds good. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely been a long journey. Um, I would say I struggled with um, an eating disorder, anorexia nervosa for, I would say um, about oh, maybe 14, 15 years of my life. Um, growing up, I think, you know, there was a lot of definitely societal pressures uh, to lose weight, to look a certain way. There was a lot of chronic dieting going on in my family. Um, a lot of rules that I think we learned from social media or just from society in general um, about, you know, what you should or shouldn't eat, labeling food as good and bad, um, feeling uh, the incessant need to, you know, uh, weigh ourselves, get on the scale, uh, share our weights together to track our progress. And I think um, as, you know, being a teenager, it was probably, I think, maybe around eight years old when I became conscious of my body and um, really began by body checking, then trying to be healthy, quote unquote. So, you know, I remember certain situations where I would look around at my peers and feel like I was larger than them. And, you know, noticing that I would run and, and not be as fast as them. And, and somehow that translated into my head is it's, it's because I'm quote unquote fat or because I'm bigger than them. And at the same time, having this kind of dieting cycle going on in my family, you know, uh, things like Dr. Bernstein were some of the family members going on or things like, you know, like let's load up on water and, and walk a ton so that we can lose weight. And how much did you weigh in this week and whatnot? And as an eight year old, I think this, um, it really resonated with me. And I saw kind of, I, I'm not sure if you want to say like the success, like feeling really good, my family members when they lost this weight and that really stuck with me. And so I remember coming home a couple of times telling my mom, like, mom, I made this up. I totally made it up. We're having a project at school. Like, 
it's, you know, about eating healthier. It's, we're supposed to cut out all junk food and just eat apples. And, you know, my, my mom was, bless her heart. She was just like, this is like a pretty good idea. Like, why not eat apples and, and work on this? And so she fully supported me in it. And it, it, you know, and, and then from there it was like, okay, this is working. And I started getting on the scale, which we had like maybe four scales in the house. And I saw the numbers start to drop and that somehow that created like this buzz inside of me, like I'm doing something right. And then I was able to share it with my family members. I wouldn't share my weight, but it was like, actually, I never said anything out loud about my weight now that I think about it, but it was more like when I would hear them tell each other that they lost weight inside of me, I kept it inside and I'm like, oh, I'm one of them now because I'm losing weight too. And that just perpetuated itself. And it really, it was never enough because as soon as I saw the number drop and my clothes started getting looser and then I got comments like, oh, you look so good. What are you doing to lose weight? And then I saw the number going down and all of a sudden it was just like, this is my new thing. Like I got to keep up with this. And, um, it, it definitely spiraled out of control. You know, I got, um, got very ill in, uh, my first year of, uh, university actually um was when i got very very ill um it was up to the point where i i could not walk i was very emaciated um and still very um just adamant that i didn't need help my parents obviously recognized it a few times even during high school and they tried to bring it up with me um but i was very resistant to you know the eating store was my thing i didn't want anyone getting near it i became very hostile towards my family members who tried to bring it up and um, you know, no judgment to anyone going through the same thing, because it's really hard when someone confronts you about the eating disorder that is, is basically, you know, it, it's what you're good at. It's what means so much to you. It's what you've, your brain has literally placed so much importance on weight and food and exercise that anyone trying to take that away from you is automatically an enemy. Um, so that was where I was at in first year of university. Um, it got to the point where my parents pretty much uh, forced me to go to the hospital. Uh, I did go to the hospital. Uh, I'm not going to put in numbers here. Um, it, I was at a deathly sick weight. Uh, I was admitted immediately. Um, three or four days later, actually, on the ward, um, I could not breathe. I was so emaciated that my diaphragm had pretty much failed on me. I was taken to the ICU, uh, the intensive care unit, and I was intubated. I was placed on a ventilator for life support uh, because I couldn't breathe on my own. Uh, all of my organs had pretty much shut down. I needed dialysis, which um, for people who aren't in the medical community, it's basically when your kidneys fail and you need to be attached to a machine to do the work of your kidneys. And uh, to be honest, for somebody with an eating disorder to be on a ventilator and need dialysis, simply because they're underweight and they've caused that much organ damage, it was, it was a nightmare. Uh, I was actually sedated for a month in the ICU. So for that whole period of May 2012, I don't remember a single thing that happened during May 2012. I was put to sleep um, because it's too much. It was too much for me to be awake on the ventilator and on the dialysis. So they would pretty much give me medications in the ICU to put me to sleep so I wouldn't feel the pain or resist the ventilator. Um, I was almost up for a kidney uh, kidney donation, actually. And my parents were, you know, they were saying, we'll donate her kidneys for her. But obviously there's, there's all these politics around it. But I guess the picture that I'm trying to paint is it was misery. Um, the seconds between when the medication would wear off, I would kind of open my eyes. And honestly, the only thing I remember was it being pitch black and maybe seeing the silhouette of a family member or a priest or someone around me, or maybe the nurse doing something for me, IV lines, I had a catheter in my neck. Um, it was misery. And 
lo and behold, um, at the end of May 2012, I remember them shaking me vigorously and they were like, wake up, wake up. We think we can take the tube out. And uh, they did. They took the tube out. Um, I Somehow, I guess my lungs had recovered. I no longer needed the dialysis. Um, and I should mention during this time, for those of you who are wondering, I was being tube fed because obviously I was put to sleep. So I was getting the feeds through an NG tube. And um, I, I, I guess I made it through. And that was, you know, I, I guess that was the first kind of wake up call. Like I almost died at the age of what, 18 because of my eating disorder. And um, that was a big shift. I, I got discharged from the hospital and I was put on the wait list for an eating disorder program. Uh, in my community and in patient one, um, I finally made it on the on the wait list and I got accepted into that program and I attended that program for three weeks. Um, so it was inpatient. I will be honest, Katie, I was, um, I was very hesitant to attend this program as well, because I, I was still not in the mind, even though, see, it's funny with eating disorders, even though I had almost lost my life to the eating disorder, to be put in a um, situation where I was forced to eat and gain weight against my control and against what I wanted, um, I was not like gung-ho about being in this treatment. Um, and so I, I did sign myself out after gaining some weight um, in the in the inter, in the uh, inpatient program. And to be honest, um, I, by that point, I think I was in a better headspace. Um, I was like, no, you know, I'm gonna. I promised my parents I'm gonna sign out and I'm gonna do this on my own because I just don't like being under the control of someone else. And I did. I, I signed myself out. I took it upon myself to you know, to, to eat more, to keep my weight stable. I followed with an outpatient dietitian. Um, and so I'm going to label this as quasi recovery, that period of my life, because my weight was okay. Um, and I was doing, you know, all the right things, quote unquote, but I wasn't working on my mental health. And so I was doing all of this to keep people off my back. I was, I was, you know, keeping my weight stable because I didn't want my parents or anyone else to be like, no, Marina, you have to eat and gain weight. So I wasn't really in it. Lo and behold, in my second year, so I finished my nursing degree. Um, that was what I was studying for in nursing uh, in, in my first university degree. And then I started my second degree, which was medicine. Um, and I got sick again. I would say maybe the first or second year of my medicine program. Um, I Maybe with all the stressors of being in a new program, um, I, I began really retreating back in the eating disorder. And at this point I was like, you know what? I'm not even gonna do this for anyone else. Like, I don't care if people see that I lose weight. I don't care if my weight changes. Like, I, I just don't care about it anymore. So I got sick again, thankfully not to the point um, where I was sick before, but enough to make my parents concerned and my friends and family concerned as well. And I don't know, maybe at that point I was ready. Uh, I'm a strong believer and I, and I really think that God was trying to give me a wake up call. I found the right therapist after a long time, uh, my recovery coach, she's great. Um, and it, I think I was just ready to be honest. So second year of university, uh, which for me right now would be about six years ago. I really took things seriously and did it on my own for me. I was like, I'm so done with this garbage. I can't even do it anymore. And that, I mean, that was the light statement. It was hard as hell. Um, and it, I'm still not perfect now, but I can thankfully say, you know, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm well, I've overcome so many things uh, in my recovery that I never thought I would ever do. And um, it's always a challenge, but I can, I can really actually say now for the first time, Katie, in 27 years of my life, I am actually well. And I can say, 
that the eating disorder, you know, do I still get the thoughts? I do, but it's much different now because I'll get them, but I'll be like, oh, where, like, where's this garbage coming from? I am definitely not acting on that. And I think to be in that position is I, like, I'm smiling now to myself because I truly never thought I would, I would get to this place. And so, yeah, I'm, you know, I wrote a book PSA in the middle of, of all of this and I'm, I'm working on another one. So I'm, I don't know when that will be out, but I'm working on it. And I try to share my experiences, you know, whether it's as a physician, not only for mental health, physical health, um, with my friends and my family, um, just, you know, to try to use my experiences, even if it's not related to helping people with eating disorders specifically, but just in general, um, you can do hard things. I love your story. And I thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing all of the really hard, messy phases of your journey. And I think that last piece where you're talking about how the thoughts still come to you. And I'm someone who was on the opposite side of the spectrum with food, which was binge eating. And I still have those thoughts too. And I still catch myself eating to buffer really hard emotions. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important for people to recognize that you're, you still might have those thoughts. It's just, you're not acting on them anymore. Right. And I think the, the biggest shift I kind of heard you mention from when you first got really sick to the second time was that the second time you decided recovery was for you and not for mm -hmm. anyone else. Absolutely. I love that. So throughout this process, what do you think has been some of the, the biggest lessons you've learned, takeaways that you're able to now help others with? Because I know that's what you had mentioned to me is that you really love helping others now go through this recovery process, right? Yeah, I think so. One of the biggest things, um, honestly, Katie, whether it's someone struggling with an eating disorder or struggling with, with, with anything, we all have struggles. And, you know, to your point, you know, some people in terms of eating um, could be on the opposite side, you know, maybe uh, they binge eat or maybe they eat more than they'd like to. Some people um, have a difficult relationship with exercise. Some people, I mean, as, as a resident, as a family medicine resident, I see patients who maybe it's not food related at all. You know, maybe it, they struggle to take their medications. Maybe they just can't sleep because they're so anxious at night and they're having racing thoughts. And I think it really comes down to knowing, number one, th there was this quote, I love it. It says, you alone can do it, but you can't do it alone. And I think that has so much power to it. it it's it's kind of a sad thing when you realize that you can't quote unquote fix someone, you can't heal someone. Um, you really have to be ready for it yourself. Obviously there are all these nuances, like, you know, when someone is certainly at a threat to themselves then other people might have to step in, but we're talking, you know, you're not a death door. Um, you really have to find your why, you know, and that's so cliche. I totally know it. Cause I used to roll my eyes when people would say this to me and I'm like, I have my why it's getting to be a good doctor and being healthy for my family. But it, I wasn't ready. I was like regurgitating those things, but it didn't mean anything to me. And I think I really had to get to the point where I was so sick of everything that the eating disorder had made me go through and so sick of hurting myself and hurting people around me that I was like, you know what, something has to change. And part of the hard part about accepting that is that you have to accept it, which is number two, like <laughs> feelings and emotions are a bugger. The hard feelings, like, you know, looking back now, the amount of emotion that I had to go through, even like, you know, adding to my meal plan 
or seeing my weight go up and having to donate my old clothes that no longer fit me, being around um, people who, uh, you know, might talk to me about their diet and how much weight they've lost and just, you know, having almost that unfortunate nostalgia for, for like, oh, you know, like, mm, like mm, the eating disorder, I wish I could do that, but knowing like, but I just can't. And accepting those feelings, accepting like, you know, this feels really awful right now and it's going to pass. And I felt awful before and it didn't kill me and I can do hard things. So like I speak to myself all the time, but it honestly does wonders. And there's this, um, there's actually, I was talking to my mom the other day, who's wonderful, absolutely all the time supports me, uh, even as an adult. And, you know, one thing I would, I would tell myself often is whenever I get, you know, a thought like, oh, you know, how do you, like, it's okay if you, you know, say don't spread that much spread on your bagel. You know, you can just spread half of it and no one will know. Like, and now I go, but I'll know. And I don't do that anymore. And so a lot of the times I'll just say that out to I'll be like, no, Marina, we don't do this anymore. And just that statement in itself is so powerful because it reminds me, like, I'm not doing this for anyone else. I'm doing it for me. And I know it's going to be hard and uncomfortable, but looking back now, like, I don't know, a year ago, spreading anything on my bagel seemed impossible and it produced so much anxiety and now it's routine. So the emotions really do pass, whether it's like a wave in the sea or a cloud in the sky, but you really have to sit with it, even when it hurts, even when it feels miserable, but you can do it and you will look back and thank yourself. Your future self will definitely be thankful. You just have to be gentle with yourself and acknowledge that it's hard and it's tough, um, but give yourself grace and compassion. Absolutely. I love that you recognize like in bringing up like acknowledging those hard emotions and like being gentle with yourself and offering compassion because that's really what it's about. And I think when I first entered the health field, which was really just right after college, I thought that I just had to be positive all the time. And that was the, that was the goal. Right. And what I learned through that process was I was trying to shut off negative emotion, which really came back around once I, you know, finished the diet or did the program and I just relaxed. And then it was like all the negative emotions I had been denying for months and weeks slammed down on me. And I didn't know how to like deal with them. And it's, it's such an important part of the healing process to allow those emotions. Cause really when it comes down to it, it's just like a vibration you're having in your body. Like, that's what an emotion is. It's just a vibration that we're experiencing. And, and when you can sit with it and notice it, it's like, it passes. Exactly. And, really good. and I loved what you said about how you talk to yourself. I also do this. I talk to myself. And I think that the thought that you brought up that I find powerful for myself even is, oh, I don't do that anymore. And yeah. that's like one of the best thoughts that you can train yourself in when you're first going through any kind of recovery process, whether it's with food or not. It's like, oh, hey, I don't do that anymore. And you're like, oh, your brain's like, oh, okay, I'm safe. Because your brain's always trying to like keep you safe. And when it thinks that your routine of an eating disorder or whatever it is, is it something that you need for survival, it like freaks out when you don't do those things. So when you can remind yourself like, oh yeah, I don't do that anymore. It's all good. Your brain like relaxes a little bit. Absolutely. I am. I mean, so I'm, I did my nursing degree first, um, was a nurse for a little bit. Then I went into medicine. Uh, and here I am as, as a resident physician and really, I, so 
neuroplasticity is a thing. Okay. And I, and people hear this all the time and we might roll our eyes at it. I used to roll my eyes at all of this stuff too, but it's true. You can change your brain. Um, and it's literally about telling yourself that, you know, I don't do this anymore or no, that's not for me. Or sometimes like I will honestly, yeah. One of the things I tell myself is I go, no brain, this is dumb. We don't like, we just don't accept these things or, you know, and sometimes like I, you know, just like another day, like, I will have to tell you the story about my scale, by the way, which is a big accomplishment. But the other day I had, you know, the thought of like, why don't I just weigh myself today? I was feeling, you know, it's feeling icky. I was bloated. I was just like, this would be a perfect day to know my weight. And then I thought about it and I'm like, number one, that won't solve anything. Number two, I don't even want to go there. Number three, brain, like, where is this coming from? And that's something my, um, my recovery coach, my therapist really taught me to do. She's like, get curious, you know, where is this thought coming from? Where is this emotion coming from? And like, really talk to your brain as if it was in front of you. So I go brain, like, I get it. Like, you know, I feel bloated. Somehow the connections got connected in my brain that when I feel bloated or when I feel icky or when it's just tough, you know, somehow I automatically resort to checking my weight. But right now, this is not going to help. It's not going to help. It's going to make things worse. It's going to make me take off my, and I guess that's what my brain is trying to do. It wants to take off the focus of all the external stressors and put it into something. So my brain suddenly decides that, hey, you know, let's not think about how stressful work is. Let's not think about how stressful, you know, family and friends are. Let's think about how stressful the number is because somehow that diverts attention into something. And it really doesn't fix anything because now I'm left with dealing with all my other stressors. Plus I have to worry about, Oh my God, the number on the scale and all of this unnecessary garbage. So reminding myself, okay, brain, you're trying to protect me, but it's a false sense of security and it's a false sense of control. And I totally get right now, you know, talk to yourself like a child. I totally get that you're anxious. I totally get that. This is the way you've trained yourself to be, but that's going to change. And it does. And with habit, say, you know, in challenging my fear foods in, in gaining the weight and getting rid of my small clothes and being more compassionate to myself and, and caring for myself, I was able to rewire those connections and the brain does change. The brain can does change. And that's not to say that I don't necessarily get those thoughts, but now I'm able to recognize them or to not act on them. So neural rewiring, the fact that you can change your brain and change the connections that you have formed and that have been formed by all the pressures of society around you, it's a thing. You can totally create new habits, but you have to keep doing them. You have to feel the fear or feel awful and just go through it. Know that it will get better, but you really have to go through it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of the process too. And I think a lot of times, like we, we all make these commitments, right? Whatever it is that we want to make these commitments to ourselves. But then when we make the commitment, we're all excited until we realize that there's a lot of uncomfortable feelings that come with that commitment, no matter what it is. I don't care if it's cleaning out your closet and that seems terrible to you. <laughs> like there, you make a commitment and you have to go through all the negative, really awful, yucky feelings with courage to come out on the other side with this confidence and you just repeat, repeat, repeat until, you know, you're starting to carry that over. And that's, what's great too, that I've experienced is that once you do it in one area of your life, it's a lot easier to kind of transfer that to other areas of your life too. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, there are a few people like, you know, who I might follow. I'm very careful with my social media feed. I don't use too, uh, too much social media. Um, I, I follow certain people, certain podcasts, certain YouTube channels, uh, certain blogs that are very helpful. 
Um, it's important also, you know, as a consumer to really be mindful of, of what you're paying attention to because that can either break you or make you. And I know, you know, some of the people, um, like let's say, you know, on uh, on YouTube, you know, Tabitha Ferrara, Ferrar, um, she's great about neural rewiring and she's just like, you know, you got to stick with it. You, you got to be tough with it. And I always remember her, um, there's a very popular YouTuber, um, I think she's called Megzi Recovery. And she, you know, she does a lot of these opposite actions. Your podcast is wonderful in reminding people, you know, like whatever change it is, right? It doesn't have to be body related. It could be emotional. It could, like you said, it could be like, honestly, just organizing something you can do hard things and you can change the way you think um, and the way you do things, but you just, you really have to stick with it and you have to see why it's important to you. And ultimately, if you can see that there's going to be benefit from it in any aspect of your life and it's not going to harm anything, that will be motivating to you because you can be like, this feels awful now. I really don't want to get up and, you know, take a walk outside every morning. I really don't want to have to clean my closet. I don't want to have to log in every day and do this therapy work with my therapist. I don't want to challenge these fear foods. I don't want to have to bring my child to their sports or whatever it is, but I'm going to do it because it's good for me because some, my future self will thank me. And a lot of the times, like now when I open up my journal from a year ago, so it's, it's actually, um, it's my 27th birthday uh, tomorrow. Oh, happy early. And thank you. So it's my champagne birthday, 27th on the 27th. And I told myself, um, this would be the year that I would get rid of my scales. So I'm, I'm really good. I, I don't weigh myself um, now, but I, the scale is still there. And so we were discussing, I was discussing with my therapist. See, everybody needs therapists. I'm a healthcare professional, I need a therapist. No shame. Um, let me make this my birthday present to myself, you know, just get rid of the scales because even though I'm not using them, it's still kind of that leftover hold, like, well, why do I need it anyway? And so I'm actually planning to have like a, a scale smashing self party, like tomorrow is my birthday uh, yeah. gift to myself. And I was looking over my journal a year ago from today, literally on my birthday. And it's, you know, it, it saddens my heart. I was reading it and it was like, I was at that point probably still weighing myself weekly. And I was like, I'm so anxious because tomorrow is the day that I'm going to weigh myself. And I really don't want to, um, this is what I have to do to protect myself. And I was reading that today and I'm like, Oh, Marina, yeah, I can't like, and by then weighing weekly was an accomplishment because I used to weigh daily, but I was like, wow, I'm so thankful. I'm not there anymore. And I can't believe that right now I'm actually entertaining the idea of just, you know, like, smashing the scale whereas before it was like you know weighing a little bit more frequently and even just that is, is proof that you know you can change and you can rewire but you have to go through that miserable uncomfortable feeling and you have to you have to know that it gets better you have to remain hopeful and for me um my family has been critical my mom my dad my sister um they are like the cutest most loving supportive people in the world uh, my faith community, definitely. Like I have so much great support from my friends and the priests in my church. Um, I'm a believer and truly like um, God is great. He, he has strengthened me. Number one, giving me life after my ICU admission. Uh, but number two, just every day, these little strengths that, you know, I believe that he has definitely allowed me to go through this for a purpose. And, you know, some days when it's hard and it's miserable and it's tough, I, I believe that, you know, Maybe he's using this experience to help other people, even if it's not relating to eating disorders, you know, even if it's just to make me a more empathetic physician, to make me a more um, 
strong communicator to be able to really listen to people. And when they tell me, you know, Marina or Dr. Malik, this is really hard. I don't want to get up early in the morning. I don't want to, like for my patients with diabetes, I don't want to have to cut out, you know, uh, two tablespoons of sugar because I really like them. You can just sit with them and be like, yeah, you know, I, I totally get that that's hard. And I completely understand that this feels uncomfortable and it feels foreign and it just doesn't feel right, but you can do it. How can we start together? And really, I thank God every day for giving me a second chance at life and for giving me even just the daily ability to, you know, sit with, sit with my colleagues or friends and hear diet culture talking, you know, the keto diet, the whole food diet, anything. And just knowing that maybe that works for them. Maybe it doesn't work for them, but either way, it's not for me. And to be able to sit with that and still stay strong in recovery, because no, no one plan works for everyone. My recovery story looks very different than everyone else's recovery story. And, you know, as, as a resident physician, I might counsel patients, um, say, with diabetes, you know, to cut out certain foods or to try to eat certain foods in moderation. I can't do that for myself. Uh, I need to, you know, I need to be able to eat my brownies and my cakes and whatever it is that I need to be able to eat. But to be able to separate those two things and to realize that, um, it's not that it's contradictory. It's just that there's no one plan that works for everyone. Um, I think that's, that's really something that God has really strengthened me in, in being able to do. And hopefully I pray, I really, Katie, I pray every day that God continues to use me um, to, to help people, to be a better physician, to be a better friend and a better daughter and uh, a better partner someday. Absolutely. That's so beautiful. And I do believe that God does give us like those challenges. And sometimes I think when I was going through all this process of just body dysmoria and just binge eating where you question why me, like, why, why do I have to go through this? But then when you get to this place where you're recovering and you're really accepting where you're at and moving forward, you really start to look back and thank God for all those things. I, I remember like, I have these like visions sometimes where I just see all of the things that I've gone through that have been really, mm -hmm. really hard, just connecting me to where I'm at now. And I feel so thankful to be in this place right now. But if I would have taken out all of those things, I might not have been here, you know? So uh, it's, it's such a great thing to be able to reflect back on those experiences and to find, you know, the compassion for yourself, um, even in those times, like going back and, and showing yourself that compassion and that forgiveness for you doing the best you could in that moment with what you knew. And yeah, I think like you mentioned, having mentorship is so important, like therapists, coaches, whatever you need to help you find your journey. And once you finally start to recognize that it's not about someone else telling you what you should do for yourself, it's, it's about how I teach, how I coach my clients, it's very much me holding space for them to figure it out themselves because I can't tell them what to eat. I can't tell them what to do, but I can hold space for them and help them be curious about like their thoughts and their actions and their feelings and start to open up this conversation where they're honest with themselves. And so I think that's where mentorship can be so impactful in any kind of journey, whether it's recovery or not, because it's hard for us to notice those, those patterns of thoughts and behaviors in ourselves until someone questions like, oh, is that really true? And you're like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, <laughs> somebody, sometimes we need somebody 
to, to call us out, you know, and to say, really, like, really. And, you know, I, I get that, you know, maybe finances or finding somebody that, that clicks is, is difficult. And so I, like, I put in a disclaimer, you know, I, I fully support uh, therapy. I think it's absolutely critical. Um, and I think to add to it, or if you, you can't find a therapist or a good team, even though I highly recommend it, um, do the self-work. You know, there's so many free resources out there. Journaling has been key for me. I journal. Um, I question myself. I challenge myself in my journals all the time. This obviously was built over time, and I can see how I can challenge myself now in my thoughts versus I couldn't before. But absolutely, you know, asking yourself, like, is this thought true? Is it helpful? Um, you know, where is this going to take me in 10 years? Is this how I want to live in five years? Is this how I want to be remembered when I, you know, when God forbid, when I, when I die, you know, do I want to be remembered or do I want to look back on my life as a 70 year old and think, Oh, you know, like, I'm so grateful that I didn't eat that brownie last night. Like probably not. So yeah, I know it's funny, but this is, these are the types of things that I, you know, I've had to go through, um, whether it's with my recovery, um, in, like team or whether it's on my own. And I, just being very honest with yourself, because only you know the deep and dark secrets inside your heart or inside your habits. Nobody else can do it for you. But I, I agree, it's absolutely great to have a support system that can call you out on it or to really challenge you. Um, but for those people who can't, or as an adjunct to therapy, um, definitely do it for yourself because you you are your biggest advocate and you know yourself best. And also. Um, one of the biggest things I hope that people can take away from my story, whether it's through my book or my blog, or even just when they meet me is like to decrease the stigma, you know, there's no shame. You know, I am a healthcare provider and I am telling you right now, you know, go to therapy, see your team, see your doctor, talk to somebody about it. You know, don't be ashamed of it. We all need to be well. And I think we're doing, we're, we're starting to see a little bit more in the field that it's okay to talk up, uh, to speak up about mental health, but I'll say it again, you know, there's absolutely no shame. Everyone goes through something. Um, some people it's more obvious. Some people it's not. Some people are vocal about it. Some people are not. Um, but we all need to take care of ourselves and physical health is just as important as mental health, which is just as important as emotional and spiritual health. And they all go together. And I think the more we try to, stifle our emotions or you know hide our, our sufferings it, that's what makes it worse being open about it getting the help you need um finding out who can help you and how you can help yourself honestly you know for me katie being able to look back now and say no you know i really need help how can i get this help and advocating for myself whether it's showing up to my doctor's appointments you know going to my therapy sessions doing the therapy on my own you know if i'm uncomfortable in a situation making sure that i remove myself from that situation um no shame from it you know because that's you know that's what i need to do to stay well and when i'm well i can do anything in the world that i decide that i want to do i really can it's when i'm unwell that i can't and i hope that people can see that you know, here I am as a physician, totally calling myself out and saying, yep, I struggled with an eating disorder. Absolutely. You know, and I brought help for it. And now I am, thank God, recovered and anyone can do it. I love it. Uh, so many great takeaways from this talk that we've had, Marina. I absolutely love it. And thank you so much for being so open and honest about where you've been and where you're at currently, because I think that that is going to just be such an inspiration. I know it was an inspiration to me just to hear you tell it. So thank you so much for all of that. Thanks. Okay. It was really great uh, 
really great to be here and share my story. And yeah, I, I hope that it inspires people. I hope that it helps people. And, you know, th there's always hope. I guess that's, that's my final thing. Really, there's always hope. You really can do hard things and don't give up um, because today is going to be hard. Maybe tomorrow will be hard, but one day it will it will really get easier. And when I look back now, I'm so thankful to God, uh, to everyone who was supportive of me, to everyone who continues to be supportive of me. Um, nobody said it was going to be easy, but it's definitely worth it. Absolutely. And where can my listeners come find more about you? I know I have your, your blog and your book. So is there any other places maybe they can come find you or if you could give us a, a quick preview of your book? Sure. So actually, yeah, so it's, it's uh, the recipe recovery uh, book, which you have uh, linked to and my blog. So I'm, I'm not on uh, social media right now. I try to distance myself from that so I don't get overwhelmed. I am in the process of writing a second book. Um, it's so it's kind of um, I don't want to give too much about it because it's still kind of in the early stages. But basically, it's, it's the idea uh, that, you know, not only can you do hard things, but kind of how to work through those things and finding, I guess, the space between pushing yourself to do hard things, but also being very compassionate and graceful with yourself because nobody ever gets better at doing something by being a meanie or by being a bully to themselves. Absolutely. I love that. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more about your new book, but in the meantime, definitely going to check out your recovery recipe and check out all of that. So thank you again so much for your time and sharing all your wisdom and your story. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Mind and Body Strong podcast. You are what makes this movement and message possible. If you loved this episode, share it with a friend, a coworker, a family member, or take a screenshot and share it on your favorite social media platform and tag Mind and Body Strong. To learn more about coaching and courses to help you take your journey to the next level, visit mindandbodystrong.com.